Welcome to Talking Property. Today I'm joined by Louis Christopher as we discuss the state of the Sydney property market. Louis, thanks for joining us. Yeah, nice to be with you, Pete. Uh, Louis, most people fully accept and acknowledge the property market went absolutely gangbusters to open up 2021. Yes. What a lot of people, including myself, if I might add, yeah. don't quite understand is why did the market run so strongly? Oh, it's a multitude of reasons. Uh, firstly, massive government stimulus. Stimulus like we've never seen before in this country, hitting the economy all at once. So JobKeeper was a critical component of that. Home Builder, which encouraged first home buyers into the market, place also helped. That combined with emergency cuts in interest rates, as well as quantitative easing, uh, which eased money supply in the economy, as well as a general loosening of lending restrictions, all combined uh, to basically create a rather large property boom, which has basically affected all capital cities. In percentage terms, how much did the Sydney housing market, not dwelling market, but housing market specifically, how much did it rise in 2021 year to date? In year to date, uh, 2021, we're looking like we're up by about 12%. Okay. Talking 12% in six months, we're talking annualised growth of 24% when you know, massive segments of the economy, such as the travel industry, tourism, still shut down. Have they thrown too much stimulus at this market? Hmm. I, I, that's, a, that's a hard one to answer. Because if they didn't throw enough, the economy would be in recession. Uh, arguably, you could say now, looking at the housing market, that potentially there, there was a little bit too much thrown. Um, but it, I, I think this uh, was a particularly difficult and challenging uh, event for policy makers and decision makers to act on. If I could bring up this slide, Louis, I just want to show yep. our viewers today the challenges facing the Sydney property market and the economy as we rolled into 2021. Yep. And we didn't have a bad finish to 2020, but it at no means suggested that this was going to happen to the property market, a 12% growth in, in six months. Um, which of these issues here facing the, uh, the economy and the property market do you think uh, represents the biggest risk going forward? I think the biggest risk going forward is actually one that's not listed here, um, and that is uh, intervention by APRA, perhaps maybe even panic by APRA, that the housing market's running too hard. And what they do is they come into the market and they restrict lending. Uh, I think the probabilities are relatively high that that will happen at some point in time. The other risk is, of course, China and Will they get to the point where they no longer require iron ore from Australia? Now, so what role has iron ore played indirectly in what is happening out there at the moment? A, a, a huge um, component, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, because it has backed the massive stimulus that we've had. If iron ore did not rise, if China had blocked iron ore shipments to Australia our debt-to-GDP levels at the public level would be a lot higher and probably would have forced the federal government to be a little bit more cautious in stimulus. But given all the receipts we're getting through the iron ore shipments, it's enabled the government to extend things such as JobKeeper. Remember, JobKeeper was actually extended through to the end of March. And it's a risk going forward. There's no question about that. If China does manage to shut down 
iron ore exports from Australia. We, we are going to fill a pinch. There was a sense that uh, the removal of JobKeeper could play badly in the economy and therefore the property market, but we seem to have blown past that. That's right. And, and we, were, we were, as a research house, cautious about the end of JobKeeper. Mm. Let's recall, uh, you know, back, uh, back in November last year, uh, the, the estimate was that there'd be well north of 200 to 300,000 jobs lost when JobKeeper would come to an end. In the end, the final number was about 50,000, the estimate is. Uh, and I think that extension through to March helped a lot. If JobKeeper ended back in 2020 on the original date, which if I recall was going to be the September quarter, um, that would have ended at a very inappropriate time and too prematurely. So from your perspective, the government's managing all of these challenges on that slide and more fairly well. They've done it well. Yeah. Uh, they've done it well with intelligence, with a bit of luck as well, I think, too. But overall, uh, they have managed the situation extraordinarily well. That's not to say we don't have side effects. And I think potentially one side effect is an overheated housing market which they will have to deal with in time if it remains overheated. So, so you're calling housing overheated. Let's cut across to apartments. Mm. Um, they enjoyed a very um, improved 2021 or first half of 2021 mm. in comparison to how they performed in 2020. Mm. What are you seeing there with apartments? I'm still seeing weakness <coughs> in the CBD area, Peter. Yep. Now, in suburban areas, the, the market for units is better, that there is more demand. But in the CBD locations, people who do not wish to move, live in the CBD anymore, they've moved away from the CBD, they've moved into our regions. Um, and hence the reason why we've seen such a, uh, a, a huge rise in prices and rents in, in regional Australia. You're calling housing up 12%. Um, CoreLogic, I see, have apartments up 5%. Is that what your numbers are telling you? Ours are showing less. Are showing less, OK. Uh, so it's uh, for units. Yeah. Um, and uh, in the CBD, we're still, we're yeah. actually recording fall. In uh, the month of May, CoreLogic yes. called the Sydney housing market having risen 3.5% in the month of May. Yes. But what was interesting listening <coughs> to a lot of my industry podcasts and colleagues as, as they discussed the market internally, they were actually detecting buyer fatigue on the ground mm -hmm. and felt that the market had peaked in April. Mm. Do you have a view on that? Because 3.5% rise in a month is extraordinary. Yes, it's, it is a strong rise. Uh, after we got through Easter, we noticed on our auction clearance rates there was a little bit of an easing in clearance rates. Not dramatically so, but just a little bit of a, an easing where it appeared as though uh, demand had slightly come off. However, when I look at it um, and when I reconsider it with new information we have, such as the big falls and real estate listings and other indicators, I would suggest to you what's really happened is that buyers have been a little bit more cautious because everyone's aware of the boom, but they're still buying. It's like climbing the wall of worry that we talk about over in the share market. Um, people are cautious, but they still want to buy. They're still concerned if they don't buy, um, they are aware that prices will likely go up further and they'll miss out. The underlying demand, the FOMO, it's all still there. It's, it's all still there. And it, it's been with us all the way through to the end of May from what we can see on our numbers. Uh, and I don't think it's going away anytime soon unless we see something change, such as, for example, APRA intervening in the market or we see a rise in interest rates or some other external event 
which creates a shock in the economy. Uh, Louis, before COVID, mortgage rates were 5% and the cash rate was around 0.75%. Mortgage rates are now down to around 3 3%, maybe yep. a honeymoon rate for 2%. Uh, the cash rates are 0.1%. Mm. If we returned to pre-COVID finance levels, what would happen to the market? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, if we re immediately returned to it, we would have a property correction. I don't think the economy could handle... Of what magnitude? Oh, it's hard to put a number on it. It would be a, a sizable magnitude. Uh, it depends on what that rate would be. But I'd like to point something out here which I think... Um, we, we should all consider. OK, if interest rates go back to, say, 5%, but inflation's running at, say, 8%, that's a different ballgame altogether because your real interest rate is still in the negative. The Reserve Bank of Australia made it pretty clear last year that they actually want to get behind the curve when it comes to inflation. They don't wish to lift interest rates until inflation has definitely hit their target range of 2 to 3%. Before, the RBA was keen to perhaps preempt that target rate and they were willing to dictate policy on a more preemptive basis. Now they've publicly stated, we want to see inflation get to 2 to 3%. So they're willing to get behind the curve and have a situation where we have real negative rates for a longer period of time. So it is possible we may well get to the day where we do see interest rates of 5%. But that will be because we've had inflation running at, say, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8%. Now, in that type of market where we're getting, say, inflation that's similar to what we had in the 1980s, then the housing market could actually withstand interest rates of 5%. And interestingly, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the bond market is second-guessing the RBA's forecast and suggesting in uh, certain quarters they'll need to go earlier than 2024 with rate rises. Do you think the RBA will hold till 2024? I think it's impossible for anyone to forecast that far out. So many X factors are still But the RBA there. have done it. Yeah, and they've been wrong in the past when they've tried to uh, predict for example, wages growth, inflation, etc. It's it's such a, an uncertain world we live in now, Peter. It's extraordinarily difficult and challenging to, to forecast 12 months out. Sales volumes, a lot of buyers are reporting there's a lack of stock on the market, but I don't think there's a lack of stock as much as days on markets sort of fallen from 42 days on market to mm. the campaign in many instances is over in 14 days. <laughs> I take note of the number of properties that have sold prior to auction during this current boom, where nearly 40% of all properties each weekend have sold prior to. Mm. Um, so it gives the illusion that stock levels are low. What are we seeing in the sales volume uh, area? Mm. Uh on the sales volume front, we've seen strong sales turnover. Yes. There's no yeah. question about that. A lot higher than what we had this time last year. Yeah. Of course, remember this time last year, we still had lockdowns. There wasn't a lot of listings at all, really, in terms of new listings. Um, so, yeah, turnover's definitely picked up, and you would expect that for a property boom. When it comes to listings, I, I, would, agree with, I would have agreed with you up and through to the end of April, but our, but our listings numbers, which we've just released definitely showed a major decline in listings. On market. Uh, on market uh, for the course of May. So total property listings nationwide on our numbers fell by about 7% for the month. 
Um, new listings fell by about 2.5%. They're still well and truly up this, on this time last year. Old listings, right, so properties have been on the market for over 180 days, fell by 9% and are now down by nearly 50% year on year. So that just tells you the market's absorbing anything in its path. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it, it is interesting when you see properties which the vendor has just got, well, up until now, had too high asking price on the property, their expectations are way above, above the market. Finally, Louis, the rental market, uh, very tough for landlords uh, in 2020. Um, what have they seen uh, in 2021 so far? Depends on where you are, Peter. So if so you- very location-centric It issue. is. Yeah. So um, if you are a property owner holding a unit in the CBD of Sydney or Melbourne, you've seen your rent slash by about 20 to 25%, uh, which is a big, big fall. Any sense of recovery in that this year? No. I mean, initially we had uh, rental vacancy rates rise up to about 16%. Then they fell in the second half of 2020 to about 6%. So there was a recovery. We've been noticing on our numbers that they're going back up again. Um, and we think we know why, and we think that's because we've actually seen ongoing completions. Um, and of course, the international border remains closed. So I think very much so that in the CBD locations, it's still very much a tenant's market. Uh, return to work, has that assisted the rental market as people who might have been able to work from home uh, in 2020 and were called back to the office, so to speak, in 2021? Has, initially, has that created some demand? Initially somewhat. I think that's what happened in the second half of 2020, particularly for Sydney. Uh, but we must remember in all this that there's a supply side. So last year, we built nationwide about 180,000 dwellings. Uh, now, that normally caters for demand, new demand of some 360 to 400,000 people, right? The thing is, the population didn't expand by that amount last year. So we built surplus stock. And a lot of that stock that was built was on the unit side and in the inner city areas. Of all capital cities. Of all various capital cities. So we added to the stock in a component of the market where there hasn't been that much demand. This boom that we've experienced in 2021, has it been driven by owner-occupiers or investors come into play? And given what you've just said about rents, there's not much as far as yield goes for investors. Mm. So are they even interested in this market? So initially this market was driven by owner-occupiers, uh, but the data of late from the Australian Bureau of Statistics is showing us that investors are increasingly becoming in, coming into the marketplace. So investors are interested. Now, historically, investors have not been really that interested in yield. They've been more interested in capital gain. They love to buy when the market's going up and they will sell as quickly as they can when the market goes down. They're more momentum orientated. That said, though, when we speak of yields, I mean, there, there is something going on in the market that I've never actually seen before. And that, yes, the gross rental yield is still quite low, but when you consider it against a lending rate, which is even lower, you're actually seeing a situation where a lot of properties out there, including in Sydney, are offering a cash flow positive opportunity. So if rents were to rise and mortgage rates were to stay where they are, investors are in the money. Big time. So given the market's risen to where it is, 12% for housing, uh, 5 
3 to 5%, say, for apartments, depending on what uh, report you read, and that's been driven almost exclusively by owner-occupiers, um, that suggests that there's another wave of buyers that could potentially come into the market and keep this going in the form of investors, Louis. Is that a I fair I think call? they're coming through now, Peter. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the indicators from the housing finance approval numbers are that investors are increasingly becoming a larger component of the market. And many people structuring themselves as an investor for finance purposes and then plan on moving in on settlement day, do you think? Oh, that's a good question. It's really hard to pick it up through yeah. the data. We, yeah. you, you don't see through the data. Lo loaded question because we see people doing that all the you time. You see it. Well, there you go. Well, you, <laughs> that's something on the ground that, you know, this is yeah. a good thing through speaking with trusted agents like yourself versus, you. say, data analysts like us. We can match the data versus what's happening on the ground. Louis, great breakdown of the market today. Thanks very much. Thank you, Peter. And thank you for joining us today on Talking Property. We'll see you next time.